This is Overture, the Prelude Podcast. Welcome to the Prelude Podcast. My name is Christopher Willis. I'm a principal security researcher here at Prelude. Hi, I'm Alex Manners. I'm a principal security engineer at Prelude. So today we have a special guest, Casey Smith. Casey, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Yeah, my name is Casey Smith, and I'm a principal analyst in the financial industry, and I have a background in uh, both you know defending networks and testing software and testing security. So excited to be here. You also have a rather well-known handle that many people might know. Uh, oh, yeah. Sub T is how, although I spend less time on Twitter unless it's a telescope, uh, you know, updates. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, InfoSec Twitter can be quite a, a whole a minefield. Minefield. Yeah. yeah, there you go. It's good. It's good. I do. I do love it, though. I, I do a lot more read only, though, on it these days because I, I it's a good place to find updates and uh, blogs and really? code. But for sure. Yeah. So thanks. Yeah, so um, I think we're going to start off with a, a question that we're looking to ask every guest that comes on the podcast, and that is what security technology or concept outside of currently what you're doing do you want to see get better in the next year? Yeah, I was thinking about this one with, uh, with Bloodhound or visualizations and mapping. So the idea that I was thinking about is how do we make uh, the way we view things or model things um, more similar? So I was trying to think of like the difference between the way a, a defender views a, a situation and an offensive team uh, views the situation. So, um, you know, like Bloodhound gives both defenders and uh, attackers the same view of the, of the data, right. Or of the graphs. And so in map or some of these other tools that are both, I don't know. So I guess that was, you know, as I think about it, like, how, how do we uh, improve the way we visualize and model things? Because I feel like we can, you know, see things differently or draw conclusions by the way we observe telemetry or an attack or a configuration. So that, I was kind of thinking about that. It's been on my mind a lot. Have you seen any, like, any? you mentioned Bloodhound, but are there other tools or products that you think have been doing a good job at that? Um, well, I, I really feel like early on with EDR, when we used the tool, it would it was really just recording. And so it wasn't really filtering or alerting. It was just like a raw, it was essentially like running Procmon all the time on a machine. And that to me was, I mean, that's the one that, you know, one that comes to mind was like, uh, in my, for my experience, it was a carbon black response, like the early product. And then, um, but then, you know, there may be others, but those are ones that I see like where you're looking at the data defender or, you know, is looking at the telemetry and an attacker might also use Procmon to find, you know, DLL hijacks or, you know, path errors. And so that to me, that, that concept is interesting to me. And just how do we see it the same way? Because I think that helps the defender more than the attacker maybe because like a defender doesn't really see like cobalt strikes you know, back in, <laughs> they just see the effect of the tool. You know what I mean? I, so like you, but a cobalt strike console has like the beacons and the, you know, the chains and they know where everything stitched together. So those, there's kind of a difference there that I was thinking about how do we model or visualize these, uh, the data. So yeah. Yeah. that's kind of outside of my wheelhouse. So I have no idea other than that, but so, it's, so it's interesting. Actually, <laughs> uh, you, you reminded me, have you ever, uh, I'm, I'm assuming you've used Caldera at some point. Mm -hmm. Have you ever poked at the game board plugin? No, I have not. So, so the game board plugin, plugin was actually something 
that we had looked at to research that problem. And the idea was that you could have like a red agent and a blue agent running on the same box. And the red agent would do attacks and feed that data into the game board. And the blue agent would be like collecting telemetry and feeding it into the game board. And then you could do like, we would call it shot validation in the military, but you could like cross-reference the data that you're seeing oh, that's cool. from the red and blue side. It was, a, it was very, very prototypey, but uh, kind of just <laughs> it, jogged my memory about that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's fascinating. I hadn't heard of it, but that's kind of in line with I'm thinking. Like, if we're all looking at the same thing, or um, it in some ways, like I think, elevates the defender in a lot of ways. That's my thinking. So, yeah, very interesting. That's cool. Yeah. So this week on the podcast, we're going to talk all things security testing, from how you perform and implement security testing in your organization to even how you convince your organization to start security testing. We have tons of questions for Casey, so let's get started. Could you define for us what you think security testing is? It's a good question. So I, so security testing to me is, I would say it's validating an assertion that a product or configuration makes and, and you know, looking at results over time. So I guess I think of it in terms of like, it may not have detected it today, but it, it should if we change this configuration. But a lot of there's a lot of claims, there's a lot of assumptions and assertions that a product does this, and you go to test it and it's not true, or it's not true in the way you interpreted it. So that's how I think about it: is we're going to depend on this tool to catch this thing or give us this insight. We better not just assume that it's you know going to work, or we have, or that we have it configured properly. So that's how I think about it. Almost uh, as you described, a QA of security tools and making sure that it is like ready to be used in your environment to a certain extent. Yeah, I think I think I've heard someone say like forensic readiness too is another oh, term people term. Uh, talk about like uh, inc- you know instrument before incident. So yep, there always seems to be like a uh, you know a guideline or a script that people do for security testing like. What's your high level script? Like what is what is the like the big things that you're doing every time that you're doing security testing? I think for me, my my background, our team does both like physical security and cybersecurity. So on the physical security space, there's all these things to make sure that the environment's ready for an incident. So essentially instrument before incident. So you have cameras checking alarms, like you have to make sure that the space is prepared for something to happen. And so I always like to start there and I try and apply that. I think in terms of like, are the sensors on, are they checking in? Why, why do we have 500 sensors that aren't checking in? So I, my starting point is you can't detect what you can't observe. And if so, always making sure that those streams are going before you do any testing, because otherwise, you know, you, you, you'll draw the wrong conclusion. So I think that's what I think about. Like when I start a test, the very first harness or the very first, you know, um, preface or whatever beginning is the checks to make sure, okay, send a simple thing in and do I see it? And then we can, then we're ready to start. Cause otherwise you'll run something and you lose the opportunity because the VM shut down or the test dissolved. So I guess that's kind of how I think about it. Like how do we prepare in advance to make sure that we're ready to see what we're about to test? That's uh, like operational preparation of the environment for lack of a better term that I can think of. Um, so in that vein, I'm assuming you like you came to that as a result of some kind of 
incident or some kind of issue that you've encountered, uh, what problem were you trying to solve that made you shift that kind of testing mentality and doing that up, up front? I think we've probably all experienced it, but it's that situation where you go to ask for the logs and they haven't been running for months or weeks or so, right? So it's that that continual problem of trying to either troubleshoot something or investigate something and the thing hasn't been instrumented or it's been misconfigured or it's been blocked at the proxy for days on end. And so trying to think about that, that's really, I think what drove me there is Absolutely, we have no hope of of catching anything if it doesn't have a sensor or agent or if it's not recording properly. So that I think it's just maybe years of just that frustration and then that has bubbled to the top as like a, the the primitive. Like if if we're going to go after anything, I think our team we go after visibility and making sure everything's uh, turned on and look and working first. Yeah. What what interests me is you said your team comprises both the cybersecurity, but also the physical security component. And I'm interested, what kind of parallels do you have between the physical security testing procedures and practices that you employ and the cybersecurity testing procedures and practices you employ? I think a lot of that comes into our training. So, I mean, I would say physical security is a lot more mature, right? We have alarms, we have vaults, we have walls, we have barriers. Um, And so we can't really test, nor do we necessarily need to test, um, you know, access to different things the way we might uh, in cybersecurity. But the parallels, I think one is comes into like uh, maybe shared intelligence. So the idea is what's happening at another organization is probably going to happen to us. So that, so there's a whole spectrum of skills or capabilities of adversaries on the physical security side, whereas, but if you look at statistics over time, most of them are, you know, robberies occur because it's a note passer, right? So, uh, but but I guess that that's my parallel is looking at reports and threat reports. And instead of just saying that's interesting, our team likes to look at it and say, what if that happened to us? And are we ready? And then that drives our test because we would look at a gap or uh, an interesting technique that we haven't seen. So I'm not sure if that answers the question, but that's sort of how we think about it. Like what, you know, what what's happening in physical security happens at other places. Same with cybersecurity. Yeah, I, I like your your way of describing them as kind of the primitives of security. And and I guess the point I'm trying to make is for a, a lot of people that focus on the cybersecurity side, there's a lot of existing processes and practices that you can take from other components of your business and apply to cybersecurity. And it's all about like helping sure. your organization adopt good practices, good policies, good procedures. And if you're coming into your organization and you're trying to, you know, square peg round hole this is what we need to do versus here's how our company operates. Here's how I think we could apply those procedures and practices to the cybersecurity side. And I'm wondering, like, is that a, that does that kind of characterize how you're approaching cybersecurity in your organization or can you talk a little bit about I think that? So no, I think, I think, you know, I think I see what you're saying. And I think that's true. Like people like the trying to use mature processes, processes that fit within the culture, and apply them in this new domain or different domain. And I think, I think that's true. I think, yes, we do see that. And I think our, our, our teams, I would say, have a really strong relationship with uh, other IT parts of the organization in terms of communication and same, same uh, interests. So I, I think that's true. If that's kind of what you're saying, yeah, sort of take, take what you do well. If, if your organization is documentation is important and tracking and those things, you can align that and apply the similar uh, processes to, you know, cybersecurity tasks and procedures. Yeah. 
So what do you find engineers forget the most during security testing? I think I think I kind of talked about this one earlier, but I think it's making sure the you know that things are working. The there's a like the the telemetry stream, or or I think I was thinking maybe like uh, you know you don't snapshot the VM or whatever. You're <laughs> most often I would say people assume that the test is going to be recorded properly, right? And I think we miss that, myself included. I um, so I think again, kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier. That harness, that initial script is. You know, we have the concept of like ping or trace route and networking. That's not really an easy tooling for EDR or endpoint monitoring. So it's almost like, you know, they we forget, you know, to check the check the the, the Ethernet light equivalent of a test, right, or whatever. So it's <laughs> the Ethernet equivalent of a light. That's that's a fascinating way to put it. And and I haven't really thought deeply about that. Um, it sounds like, is your process largely manual then? Are you manually going and checking that these systems are online and operating in the way that you would expect? It de- I, I guess it depends on what we're testing. If it's something new, it often starts out manual. But over time, we save scripts and, and record tests or uh, replay them. But I would say initially, a fair amount of it is is manual, but the a lot of these tools have APIs, so you can do something just simply like with like a PowerShell or Python script, and just say, like uh, you know, check the check the portal. What was the last time the sensor checked in? Or send um, uh, one of the companies we use. We have we do have kind of like a ping. So essentially, you do you do a command line, and then you have a special unique hash that gets picked up and creates an alert. So you can just run that command slash tests a, a unique GUID and that gets that then you get the check on the other end okay that went from endpoint to portal um, and so those type of things are automated but I, I feel like it's we could always do better you know I think everything starts out manual because we need to understand how to do it completely and then we can repeat and uh, get faster and scale it out sure I think this is like a good segue to the next question that I had was like how important does automation play a role in your security testing it's it's a big it's automation is important because it gives us the ability to test accurately often and um it, you know correctly i guess you know i guess it accurately but yes it's, it, automation is important because it lets us repeat tests and can share that across different teams so maybe the person that created the test we may want to have it run in another part of the organization or something so i think automation is a big part of it and that's gotten better over time i think there's a lot of more frameworks and tools that people can add to their testing uh, to do automation. So uh, it's a huge component. Do you find in some cases, some of the automation uh, just kind of falls like flat on its face, like just doesn't work the way you want it to? Yeah, sure. <laughs> like the, like credential, like, uh, you know, access, credentialing, uh, detection, you know, I think yeah. it's, yeah, I think it's that, the concept of like, you know, that an adversary is not going to run that exact command. <laughs> right. So I think automation and, and testing is really more about making sure the plumbing is working necessarily, not necessarily an exact. Um, yeah. But that, that's where I think it sometimes fails is people run a test and then they say, we will not, this will not, you know, if this happens, we're good. And that's, you know, not, not a good conclusion to draw. It, it sounds like uh, just based off everything we've talked about, there's, 
there are some synergies that would exist between a red team engagement, uh, like a standard pen test, and then just what it sounds like a lot of the automated security testing that you do. So where do you think the the testing component, the security testing that you're doing falls in with a larger, more holistic security picture of having those red team engagements doing the pen testing in addition to the stuff you're doing? So it's a good question. I think we're, for me, honestly, we're looking at more like what what I do a lot of is QA testing almost, right? So it's essentially, uh, you know, this this system says that records this event, you know, prove it. Um, and so that's that's where I'm in a space now. But we do work, you know, we have partners and pin testing and that's where um, we're doing that advanced, then we're ready. And then we know, okay, this team is ready to come in. And that's where we get that human adaptation because someone outside, a pin tester, red teamer, will adapt or will change or will try something I hadn't thought of, you know, so then, but I think for me, where I'm working is really just in like, really just that base validation, a lot of it, just testing to make sure the assertion that a product or vendor or configuration claims is actually, um, you know, repeatedly uh, true, you know, cause things drift, right. So there was a, you know, different situations, things change. So if that, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Uh- and how has how has your practice how like security testing in general how has it matured in in your time at this organization well like could you talk a little bit about maybe what it looked like when you started versus where you are now and where you want to go with it yeah it's a good question i think we we still want to continue to mature i think my background before i came here i worked at red canary and was working on atomic red team we brought some of those ideas here but it's it's hard because testing isn't always a, a prioritized. We have other projects. We have a lot of business uh, to support. So it's trying to get there. Um, you know, over time, I think we'd like to see more automation to Chris's point, you know, we'd like to do things in a more automated, but, you know, sometimes we see a report and we, we manually run the test or get, you know, pull something off of GitHub and run it in a research environment. I think one area we've matured a lot, which has been fun to see is our team has a research space. So we have kind of a, a place where we can, outside of production and impact, we have a research area that has instrumentation that matches our production environment, and we're able to mimic and do those things and feed those into production detection systems without the impact or worry of, we just pulled a gist off of GitHub. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we will screen those and look at those, but at the same time, we, we, we are, that's one area that we've gotten really good. And we have an analyst on our team that has done a great job of, uh, setting that infrastructure up. And so if I need to go test something on say Windows 10 with this product, I just click a button and it hydrates that machine and then we're good to go. So that, that's been fun to see. That wasn't present or it was in the early stages and we've grown over time just to say, how do we quickly prototype a test so we can bring it into production? So that's a long answer. I don't know if that hits what you're thinking, but that was kind of, yeah, we've, we have a long way to go, but it's been fun to see some quick wins, especially in how quickly we can prototype things. Uh, I I'm, have a question kind of on the business side. What kind of buy-in do you get from the leadership in your organization for, for a lot of the work that you're doing? We have a really strong security culture, very positive security culture. So we have, I can't think of a situation where we've asked to test something or needed something to test 
and have had pushback or, I mean, we may have had pushback, but we ultimately reach consensus about it, you know, whether our understanding. So I would say we have really strong support. Um, I think that a lot of financial institutions do that. That culture is present because again, like we talked about earlier, coming out of physical security, there's already a mindset of uh, security and approach, but I would say we have a really good, um, you know, support from our organization. Absolutely. From security testing as a whole, do you you find that the security tools and the testing has like improved over time or is it just expanded, right? Like there's so much more things that we have to do in order to do security testing. Like, has it really gotten better or is it just like now we have more things we have to look at? It's, it's It's a good question. I think it's gotten better we can see more things, which then feeds back into, we have more things to test and you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, we like years ago, EDR wasn't a thing. Right. And if you, if you wanted to write a custom detection rule, say 2011, 2012 issue that what for a lot of organizations that just didn't exist, you had an anti-malware solution that you could not customize. <laughs> and now I think we've, I think in a good way, we have a, a system where we have folks doing detection engineering and, and writing these tests, but you know, we just, we never even had that tool before. And so now as that grows, it's kind of like it, it continues. Uh, our telemetry streams continue to push our uh, what we have to validate. So I, I I do like testing endpoint. I do a lot of testing with web app firewalls because obviously there's nuances and things there with those. But um, yeah, I, I guess I guess it, it's, it feels like it's growing faster maybe because we're having more data. I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah. Yeah, I always find like, I always have to ask like, does, is this security tool actually getting better or is it just like now, like now I have to do like eight or nine more things. And so you end up just like spending all that time doing those extra requirements instead of just like getting down to the basics. Right. So it's like everything's so advanced now because we're all in the same battlefield. <laughs> and, uh, and so we hit that button, you do that security, like security test and you just end up, with the same results that you had five years ago. <laughs> sure. No, yeah, that's, that's good. It's actually a really good point. I think, I guess it depends on what you're testing. So my, like my experience has been even like a lot of it's endpoint testing, but we, uh, I worked on a project where we would just generate events. So does it see TCP? Does it see incoming outgoing? Does it see UDP income? You know, so all of those just bare, bare bones. Like if those aren't working, then, you know, the DNS lookups, how's it doing a C name? But yeah, I think, um, I don't know. Yeah. Over time, I think people think, think that it's working and it's actually maybe not, um, you know, like we're researching a problem now with like sensor commingling data. So you go in and look at something and it's like, I search for this user, this host, this process, and I get every, it looks like it's everywhere. And it's, you know, so I don't know. It, it is a good, it's a hard space, hard problem. And data saturation too. Just, there is a certain point where you have too much data and like, how do you, begin to even sift through all that data and make sense of it. And I think that's to an attacker advantage, maybe. I don't know, right? There's a lot of, um, a lot more to look at, a lot more that can break, a lot more, uh, um, you know, intermediaries, right? I mean, that was reported some of the problems with the Colonial Pipeline stuff was that they had the data, just didn't know how to sift through it. (laughs) Um, And so they just got stuck. (laughs) I, I think that's probably true in a lot of places. Yeah. If I had the, to the grain of sand in the <laughs> in the clock face, the in the watch, right? All needs to yeah. work perfectly or it doesn't work at all. 
what would be a good entry point? What is ground zero for somebody trying to get their organization started in a security testing process? Sure. I, uh, I, I leverage something that I've used a lot, which was depending on what you're testing, but from an endpoint perspective, I like things where I don't have to install something to run a test. I really like the default script host or script engines on it. So, so there are plenty of examples in the industry for very simple commands that would help you run those tests. And then that helps you build up over time. And I really like MITRE ATT&CK. I think MITRE ATT&CK Enterprise has a really good set of uh, you know things that happen and in sequence. And so there's a couple of really good blogs that they've published there about getting started with MITRE ATT&CK and it kind of uh, takes you through that process. But those I think are really foundational and they do, they do work, I think, because it helps move us along in terms of, you know, where do I start? I don't, I don't have budget to buy a thing. I don't have uh, really a something to receive or automate the testing, but you can really get a lot of quick wins just by running, uh, you know, a few single command lines, one-liners and see if the tool's detecting it. And if you could find it, so that's, you know, that's very helpful, very simple test, run this command and just, you know, put an arbitrary string on the command line and then just go see if you could search that in your tool. And you, you find a lot, you find out a, a lot about how your tools may not be, working just by those type of things. So almost like a tracer round, I don't, for lack of a better term, just send some rounds into your logs and go find them. That's a great way to start. And, and you don't have to buy anything to do that. You don't have to uh, configure anything to do that. You're just looking at what you have today and, and starting there. So hopefully that helps folks. I think you can get some momentum and then you'll know what you need over time. Uh, yeah, and what what kind of open source tooling do you think would be a good starting point for somebody who, who wants to start at that ground zero entry point. So I have talked about this before in uh, other contexts, but I like detection lab and I like Sysmon. So if you're, if we're talking, say testing windows, Sysmon is a free tool to record events. And, and then you can then use some of the publicly available uh, configuration guides to record those. And, and that really is very helpful. So detect, uh, Detection Lab, Splunk has an attack range. Those are just areas you could test outside of even your own organization. You can practice, you can set up some VMs and then uh, when you're ready and to do that. So those are, I think that's really helpful if you're testing say Windows. Um, for, for networking, InMap is a great place to start, of course. Uh, and, and even uh, in different cloud ranges, you can practice those. Just like you'd practice a pen test or practice uh, other capture the flag things, you can do something similar like that with testing. So. Organizations, I don't remember what, what, what the statistic was, but it was pretty high of how many organizations buy advanced tools and just, you know, they don't work because they didn't set them up correctly. And yeah. that's so important to do the testing on it after you've set something up. And it, it's it's mind boggling, right? Like, you know, you, you buy yeah. carbon black and you spent all that money on it and you never like set it up correctly. <laughs> and now right. you just have this really fancy tool that does nothing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We call that deploy and decay. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not like deployment is not, you're not done, right? That's the beginning of the engagement. So yeah, working with the vendor, really pushing back on them to make sure you're getting the value. But that, that I think to, you know, Alex mentioned earlier, that comes from business, um, support of the team to say, you know, we're going to buy this product, but it's going to be, you know, four months 
getting it installed and testing and tuning. And we want to continually revisit it. But I would say that happens a lot. The product is purchased. And then over time, you know, people leave. The person that set it up left and now someone else inherited it. So that person needs training. They need they need they need to learn the tool or something has to come along. But yeah, that's a that's a uh, industry wide uh, situation. I suspect it also kind of illuminates a, a larger fallacy that exists in a lot of companies where the the leaders think we buy this product and we're secure. We just that's it, right? And I think that's <laughs> right. a re- partially a result of Infosec not accurately being able to communicate requirements and needs sure. and issues. Um, but it's also just like one of those things where we need to be advocating to our, our business leaders that these it's not that simple, right? And you have to explain to your leadership and build that trust with your your leadership team. We had uh, Robin on last week, and he was talking about how his role as a purple teamer has largely been just building trust within his organization to explain those types of things to his managers. Yeah, that's a, I, I, absolutely because I think there's misconceptions or who's driving the purchase of the product? Is it a leadership driving a purchase of a product or is it coming from the analysts who are describing they continually need this tool? So that that kind of meeting in the middle where you can say, you know, ask, why are we buying this product? We have three things that do the same thing or, you know, being honest about those. Cause again, yeah, that, that can be a big waste of energy and, and spend if, if it's uh, depending on where it's driven and if there's not alignment or consensus about, you know, Choosing the the outcome or the problem you're trying to solve before you go and to market and pick something out, right? Like we want to inspect DNS. So that's our goal. Regardless, I don't know. I'll go find someone that will do it the way we want it. But I don't know if that makes sense, you know, kind of along those lines. Like if somebody just says, well, I went to a, a conference and I saw this product, let's buy it. I, I don't know that happens some places, but not, not where we're at. We usually see a really good partnership where <laughs> uh, we drive the outcome or drive the Capability filling a requirement, requirement. yeah, as opposed to the other yeah. way around. Yes, I know, I know, I know. It seems, I know, it seems like uh, foundational, but I would say maybe that that causes some of the that friction for people. Yeah, I'd like to look a little bit ahead. Um, in five, ten, call it fifteen years. You pick the time range. Um, where would you like to see the security testing uh, modernize and and grow to? I would say, I feel pretty strongly that customers should, I mean, the ownership of the testing shouldn't be on the customer. So I'd like to see a lot more testing either independently or uh, vendor tests. You always worry about them gaming the system, but we don't have time to test your product on it, to be honest, right? Like we need it to work right away. So for us to build out this whole mature testing. So I think over time, five, 10 years, I'd like to see a lot more things built into products that give you health checks of the product. So that gives you validation of a particular technique or tactic. Um, it's going to be interesting because I think as endpoint endpoints change, I don't, I testing, there may be less testing for like, for, you know, uh, or, or, or I'm trying to think, you know, like if you're using Chromebooks versus windows, I guess what I'm thinking is that's going to change how you test and even instrument your endpoint. So I think there's going to be probably that's another trend we'll see is you can't really put a sensor on a MacBook or not, not a MacBook, but an iPad. Right. So if you're, if, if companies are using that, how are you then testing those things? So those are, I guess will be trends, but I, I guess I feel really strongly that like, it's not that I don't have, like, I don't want to, but like, I really wish a lot of these tests had been conducted before or independently to validate uh, a product 
instead of customers. Like I don't test other products, right? Like I don't test my car. I don't test my brakes. I don't test the plane or so, you know what I mean? Like, so at some point there has to be some, maybe some shift into ownership of these security products and testing. Like, I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. And that's pure speculation, but maybe that's, maybe that's where we're headed is something like that. So. That's a, that's a great point. Yeah. It's, I think that's a larger infosec industry problem, not, not just EDRs. It's just kind of software in infosec. Is it necessarily like, (laughs) like people make claims, but, how valid are those claims? <laughs> Slap right. AI on right. it, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. I, yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, and those and those are like. How do you test AI? How do you test ML? Like most people don't know how that thing reached its conclusion or if it was accurate, and and they don't know what kind of garbage could be sent to. I mean, so, a lot of people know, but smarter than me. But some a lot of teams are trusting or depending on those systems, but they don't necessarily have any insight into how that decision might've been made or the outcome. But yeah, those are probably trends we're going to have in five, 10 years. How do you test this AI decision or automated reasoning tool? So I was reading um, this, the singularity is near and he talks about the future integrations, the technology and stuff. And it's a little bit terrifying sometimes <laughs> to think about all this close integration and how do we know uh, what it's doing or how do we know it works? I don't know. I don't know. Has Chris told you about his uh, B166ER stuff that he's been doing? You might find it kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Doing, doing uh, testing uh, for ML and and deep learning type environments. Uh, so doing that type of testing, it, it brought back memories because it's like <laughs> you have to write so many. Your tests are almost more important to write in a DL environment than it is to write for like to write the actual software itself to do the ML and DL. <laughs> Interesting. Um, and and a lot of that has to do with we. Uh, so anybody who's in the, the ML DL space pretty much has to rely on NVIDIA at this point. And yeah. NVIDIA is all black box. Uh, so okay, interesting. You, you don't see any of that <laughs> stuff. And so it, when when a, a, you know, a data science says, like, this is magic, it really is kind of magic because <laughs> oh, you don't no. see any of the, the, the black box that NVIDIA is doing on the CUDA side. And so you, you end up in the situation where you, like, your tests are actually... You're writing your test takes more time than actually writing the the machine learning components themselves, and so there's probably tons of companies that just don't do the tests <laughs> and just sure. see the output and just say it it works. <laughs> That's and amazing. Not doing okay, the adversarial yeah. component, right? So like that was like one of the big aspects of doing bigger was to come out of that and. Uh, at the end, have something like a test bed where you could do adversarial AI type of test bed. So I'm still working on mm. it. Uh, it's got that like one or two extra in components, uh, but we've been kind of busy. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that, that, was, that was because I, I, that's the first time I've heard of that. It was B, B166R. Is that what you said? Okay. Yeah, bigger. Right. It, it goes on the okay. whole like matrix thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we released a chain that was for doing, uh, ML and DL discovery. So if you, uh, want to see if there's a box that's potentially doing those types of things, um, and then also doing a, uh, like a, 
if if the if the target box is doing ML and DL uh, uh, learning uh, environments, then we actually upgrade the agents. So okay, hmm. yeah, it's it's a it's a cool chain, um, but like that in component is what uh, uh, will really big the big be the big part of that where it's just doing the actual adversarial uh, type testing. That's fascinating. Okay, yeah, no, I'm glad you brought. That. I hadn't heard of that, so that uh, that that will be something to dive into. Very cool. So, I, I think we have talked a lot about security testing, um, and we have. So we we started out with a question, and we'd like to kind of bookend the security testing with a question. This is one we're going to be asking pretty much everybody that comes on the podcast. Uh, what security resource in the past year have you found exceptionally helpful? Uh, one that I love is Ingrok, and I've talked about this before, but our, we use this a lot. Ingrok is a way. So let's say you have a VM; it's behind a firewall, behind NATs, and you want to expose something to test real quick or get a call back. Uh, the whole, the whole. I just I find Ingrok to be very elegant and a very helpful way to prototype various things. So like we did like a web shell where you could just, it's almost like it reverses the connections outside to in. And so uh, I, I find it to be great. I think I know adversaries are using it. So we're trying to understand it. Um, it's uh, it's pretty helpful. That that one has been good. Probably that's, if someone asked me, that's the one, you know, I, 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 should get a commission for it because I talk about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you actually, you were the one who introduced me to it. And when you showed okay. me it and I could like inspect the headers and stuff and see it in live, I yeah. was like, this is amazing. I love this. <laughs> yeah. It, it's real. I mean, it does. Yeah. I would say, yeah, that one is just great. Cause yeah, it's kind of like you, you get introspection of the, of the request response. Uh, it's well documented as a tool, as a product. They give you a free version to try out. So uh, I would say I've used that a lot in the last year just for some of the testing, both in web apps and networking and also endpoint stuff. So uh, it's been fun. So yeah, pretty cool. I would say also maybe uh, some of the cloud, like Pentester Academy, I have used that a lot with even since the pandemic started. They've published a ton of great classes and it's very reasonable. I think it's like 280 bucks. And like, there's some great Windows internal classes. There's a full attack range CTF. So, I mean, I, I've used that a lot. So I like their stuff. You know, I, I found it very helpful um, for people, I think, learning. So if that's helpful to others, maybe they could check it out. So this concludes this week of Overture, the Prelude podcast. We'd like to thank Casey again for coming onto the podcast and spending some time and talking with us. If you haven't done so already, please consider giving us a like and subscribe. You can find us on all major podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. You can also find our podcasts on our Prelude blog at feed.prelude.org. We'll be back at the end of February for another podcast. Till then, Prelude out.